I'd like to invite you now to pray with me the prayer that we offer each week as we answer the question, what happens when grace happens? Dear God of all grace, please grant us the grace to receive your grace and grant us the grace to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Heather Sample knew something was wrong the moment that she saw the cut on her father's hand. The two had sat down for a quick lunch in between surgical procedures. When she asked her father and he told her that he had received the wound during surgery, a wave of nausea swept over her. Both were doctors. Both knew the risks. Both understood the danger of treating AIDS patients in Zimbabwe. And now their fears had been realized. Heather was in her third year of residency. This was her sixth trip to Africa. She was only six months into her marriage due to unique circumstances. She and her newlywed husband, Chris, had been required to live in two different cities for nearly all of the first six months of their marriage. They'd only been able to be together for a week prior to their marriage. It made this trip particularly difficult. It was hard to say goodbye to Chris. It was even more difficult to know how to respond to the, to the mysterious foreboding she felt in her heart. She said, to be honest, I did not want to go. Not only was Chris not going with me, but I felt like I was stepping into a spiritual battlefield. She might have postponed the trip and not gone at all, except that the workers at the Karanda Hospital compound were in desperate need of relief. Besides, her father was going with her. Her father, a 12-year veteran of medical mission trips, was going. Her father, Kyle. I first met Kyle back in, back in my college days. He married a delightful girl by the name of Bernita. The two eventually settled down in Muleshoe, Texas. Yes, that's a town. Muleshoe, Texas, where they set out to raise a family and, and treat the needy. Turns out they raised a family that does treat the needy, ten children in all, each of whom has a unique assignment in the field of medical missions. Kyle founded an organization called Physicians Aiding Physicians Abroad, PAPA it's called. And each year Kyle spends several weeks in third world countries aiding third world mission hospitals. So this trip to Zimbabwe was not his first, but this exposure to AIDS was. Heather urged her father to immediately begin the Retro, the antiretrovirals to combat the HIV infection. Kyle was hesitant because he knew the, the side effects. Still, Heather insisted, so Kyle consented. By dinner time, he was violently ill. He remained ill throughout the remainder of their time at the compound, though they were optimistic that the medicines were having their impact. By the day of their departure, however, they they knew something had gone terribly, terribly wrong. En route to the airport, Kyle's skin and uh, all over his face and body broke out in hives. 
they made it to a guest house where Heather found a book, a medical book, that listed the potential side effects of the medicine. Turns out that Kyle's body was reacting not to the HIV, but, but to the medication. And Each one of the potential side effects was life-threatening. They contacted a stateside infectious disease doctor who urged them to get home as, as soon as possible. So they, they moved their flight up, they, they boarded the plane, and they began to be aware, both of them, that Kyle might not survive the 40-hour trip. That included a 12-hour layover in South Africa and a 17-hour flight to Atlanta. Heather began to feel the full weight of her father's survival on her shoulder. By the time they boarded the final flight, her father's temperature was 104.5. He was incoherent. He couldn't stand. Respiratory rate was high. His skin was patchy. Both she and her father knew that Kyle was in acute liver failure. He was incoherent. She was at the breaking point. She convinced that the pilots of the plane that the only hope was to get her father home safely and she felt the full responsibility for his safety he finally made it to his seat with the help of a wheelchair and she crawled over and sat next to him armed with a stethoscope and some epinephrine in case he coded she began to wonder how she would ever be able to get her father's body out of the seat on to the ground if she needed to treat him finally the plane took off and he dozed off and when he fell asleep she climbed over him made her way into the nearest bathroom where she immediately vomited the water that she had just drank and she fell on the floor in a fetal position and she began to pray she didn't want to be her daddy's doctor she wanted to be her daddy's daughter she begged for help. She begged for her father's life. She doesn't remember how long she stayed in the bathroom praying, but long enough for a concerned passenger to come and knock at the door. And she stood and splashed off her face and opened the door. The passenger asked if she was okay. She said she was. She assured him she'd be fine. After all, she said, I am a doctor. His face brightened. He said, well, I'm a doctor too. And not only am I a doctor, but my three friends, are, three colleagues were standing with her. There were four doctors. And not only are we doctors, he said, but there are 96 doctors on this very flight. <laughs> Turns out that 96 other physicians, in addition to them, were traveling, 100 in all, from Africa to Mexico. Some of the finest physicians in Mexico were traveling together. She explained the crisis and asked for their prayers and help. They gave both. They went and retrieved one of their colleagues who happens to be an expert in this very situation. And he went and examined Kyle's sheets and agreed with her that nothing else could be done for now, but that they would keep an eye on him and she could get some sleep. And she did. And when she awoke... She saw her father was standing, talking to the doctors, and 
she began to realize that her father was going to survive and she began to realize what God had done answering her prayer not once but a hundred times over Dr. Sheets and his daughter Heather were at our Saturday night service I brought them up on the platform so we could ask them a few questions I thought you'd like to see what they said well, we are so proud of you both and so thankful that you're letting us share your story. I imagine that when this was happening, you never thought that you'd be using this story to encourage others. When you were in that uh, bathroom, Heather, uh, praying, what, what kind of thoughts were going through your mind? I'm not sure there were a whole lot of thoughts. I may have been about as incoherent as my dad was at that point, having been awake for as long as I had been. and. Uh, just having spent the last 12 hours in an airport in South Africa by myself um, coming to terms with the fact that it wasn't really a question that Papa was dying and uh, I think at the point that I was praying in the bathroom I was really just telling God that I can't be a doctor right now I just can't do it and um, I'd already kind of decided that he was going to die but my prayer to God was that it not be on this flight right now um, that I have to sit here and uh, you know be responsible for saving him and it's funny because I do that on a daily basis at work and you know, you kind of, after a while, get to where it, it becomes routine, and yet when it's personal, it's, it's very not routine. Yeah. And uh, did, did you have any idea a hundred other doctors were on that plane? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> what, what were you thinking, Kyle? When you, I don't know if you remember anything about. Well, I don't remember a lot. I, I had as Heather kind of come to terms because I understood the medical situation that and and really felt like I was going to die and I was at peace about that I, I knew from experience uh, dealing with patients that when patients says I feel like I'm dying they're usually right and uh, what bothered me was to see what Heather was going through she was trying to you know the responsibility she felt the thought that I would not be able to say goodbye to my wife and my other children, that was a, a, a lonely thought. And then um, we had lost a son uh, just over three years prior to this in an accident at age 19. And uh, knowing the unspeakable pain and grief that, my, that I, my wife, and our family went through during that time, and just the thought that they would have to go through something like that, it just did not seem fair. And it was, that was a very distressing a uh, hard thing for me to to deal with mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, it was a desperate situation was, wasn't it it was it was but you had a daughter who was praying for you didn't you she was praying and, and she was praying for help and uh, uh, she wanted a, she wanted another doctor she said I just want to be your daughter I don't want to be the doctor and we were both praying that there would be you know some way that she would feel that help and and, uh, and lo and behold we weren't expecting a hundred doctors but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You look healthy. Are you, are you recovered? I'm in, I'm in perfect health. Everything's great. Good for yeah. you. Thank you both for what you do. We love Thank you, you and thanks for sharing your story Thank with you. us.
a great story, isn't it? He just wanted one helper. He got a hundred. Same can be said about you. If only right now you could see the help that surrounds you. If only right now you could see how God has marshaled all of the forces of heaven to get you home safely. He has sent you not a hundred doctors from Mexico, but thousands upon thousands of angels from heaven. He has placed the very power of God, the Holy Spirit of God within you, illuminating you. He has constructed a foundation beneath you. He has covered you with mercy. He has pledged his allegiance to you and he has never broken a promise. He cannot. You have the host, the heavenly host of saints communing with you, encouraging you. You have his word to direct you. Every possible resource at the disposal of heaven has been emptied. The arsenal has been released on your behalf. Listen, he will get you home safely. He said, I am with you. And I will watch over you. Wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Through Isaiah he said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. The word is when, not if. Not if you pass through the waters or if you pass through the rivers. You will pass through the rivers. The waters will come over you, but the waters will not overcome you. This is God's guarantee. Yes, the journey's difficult. We are Heather on the flight. We see our loved ones suffer. We are Kyle Sheets on the plane. We feel the presence of disease, even death, in our own bodies. We are fearful and weak, but we are not alone. The assurance of the ancient hymn is our assurance his grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home would we expect otherwise would we expect God to pay such a price for us and then abandon us would we expect God to pluck us from sin and not teach us to walk would, we, would he claim us as children and then treat us as orphans? Would he send his own son to die for us and then not send power to sustain us? The Apostle Paul found such logic impossible. One of the greatest verses of the Bible, he asked the question, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also? along with him graciously give us all things will God sustain you will God be with you will he walk you through this time Paul says ask those questions at the foot of the cross stand in the shadow 
of the crucified form of Christ. Now, ask those questions again. Is God on your side? Look at the wound in His. Is God for you? He came for you. Will God stay with you? Find the answer in the form of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. An exclamation point. An exclamation point with a thorny crown. Yes, he will be with you. Three centuries ago, a Puritan pastor by the name of John Flavel reflected on this passage in Romans chapter 8. He wrote, surely if God would not spare his own son one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery. It can never be imagined that he should, after this, deny or withhold from his people, for whose sakes all this was suffered, any mercies, any comforts, any privilege, temporal or spiritual, which is good for them. God will get you home. You don't need to be afraid of a solo flight. The flight will be bumpy. The trip will be painful. The discomfort may be interminable. But the same grace which called you out of sin is the grace that will carry you home. This seems to be a favorite theme of the Apostle Paul. He returns to it in in the book of 2 Corinthians when he talks about the thorn in his flesh. You remember this verse? He says, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Apparently, Paul and Jesus had discussed this particular challenge so many times that they had a a code name for it. Thorn in the flesh. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was in the case of Paul. But boy, what graphic imagery. How many of you have ever received a thorn in the flesh? You step on a thorn and it pierces through not just the sole of your shoe, but the surface of your skin. And it lodges deep within. Perhaps it breaks off and it leaves within you that ever irritating, ever festering pain. And every time you place your foot on the ground, you are reminded, I have a thorn in my flesh. I have cancer in my body. I have sorrow in my heart. I have a child who is in rehab. I have red ink on the ledger. I have a felony on my record. I have a craving for whiskey. In the middle of the day, I have tears that come. In the middle of the night, I have a thorn in my flesh. What's yours? I'm not moving to the next paragraph until you have an answer. What's your thorn in the flesh? What's that one issue that makes you wonder if God really does love me? What's that one doubt, that one question, that one craving, that one stubborn, relentless challenge? Like Paul, you have prayed, right? Like Paul, you have prayed. In fact, you have outprayed Paul. He says he prayed three times. You did that the first hour. You've, you're praying a Boston Marathon, and you feel like you're about to hit the wall. Could his answer to you be the same as his answer to Paul? My grace is sufficient. I'll get you home. 
You see, maybe God didn't heal your father. Maybe your response to a story like Kyle's and, and Heather's is, well, that's just further confirmation that he doesn't love me. No. God doesn't guarantee he will respond to your prayer the way he wants. What he says is he will do what is right. And his perfect plan will get you home safely. My grace is sufficient. See, there's the issue. Sometimes we think we have written a check, one check too many on God's grace, and now it's insufficient. We suffer from insufficient funds, insufficient grace. Or maybe he just doesn't have what it takes to solve this problem. God can solve many problems, but mine? Just too big for God. His answer, oh, come on. My grace is sufficient. My kindness is sufficient. My covenant is sufficient. You're not experiencing anything God hasn't seen a million times over. Imagine it this way. You have an eight-year-old son who's prone to adventuresome bike rides. So much so you've had to create a boundary and say never go beyond this point because you know he'll get lost. Well, one day your phone rings and sure enough, there's your son lost. <laughs> you can tell he's upset and in the conversation he admits he's been lost for over an hour. You say, why didn't you call sooner? He says, well, I'm not sure you have the capacity. I don't know if you can get me home. I'm a long way from home. I don't know if you'll know how to find me. Besides, this is a heavy bicycle. I don't know if you know how to get it home. How can we ever get out of this? It seems like an impossible situation to him, but to you. And then he says, and besides, I disobeyed you. I don't know if you'll forgive me. I don't know if you'll take me back home. Your response is, what do I have to do to prove to you? I'm a grown-up loading a bike in a Suburban or a pickup truck is nothing for me. I can get you, and I can find you. Tell me one intersection. I'll find you. This is easy for me. And enough grace to forgive you, didn't I prove to you? Meal after meal, night after night, day after day, hug after hug, affirmation after affirmation. I am committed to you. Listen, if you could love a kid that way, how much more could God, who created you, you are his idea. How much more could he get you home safely? Hasn't he proven through his grace, his covenant to you, the Apostle Paul says that God's gift has restored our relationship with him. He has given us back our lives. And there's more life to come. An eternity of life. You can count on this. We stack up the proof. He has given us the gift of salvation. He has redeemed us. Through the blood of Christ. He has accepted us into his family. He has even called us his own. Given us the name Christians. And he has established us in his kingdom. So that we do not have to live in doubt. Live in fear. But we can be sure that we are safe in his hands. And consequently now. Because of his grace. We can expect eternally. We know there is much more to life than what's between 
the grave, the, 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 the womb and the tomb, the birth and the death. In fact, we are living in expectation of the next life. Paul says, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Folks, this flight is not your final destination. No one can interrupt God's plans to get you home safely. So you can afford, you can, you can risk dreaming of going home. In fact, you are called to do so. Set your mind. Seek the things which are above. Other translations say, think only about it. Keep your mind on it. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Grace gives you permission to obsess yourself with eternity. You're not far from there, my friend. And there will be no more thorns in the flesh, no more disease in the body, no more questions in the mind. You will see the face of Christ and you will hear the Heavenly Father say, well done, good and faithful servant think about this set your mind on things above not on things below heaven is the green vegetable for the spiritual diet we need to meditate long and often on the surety of heaven to dream about seeing the face of Jesus, to be reunited with the loved ones who have gone before, to live in a redeemed and a restored cosmos. This is God's promise to you. He will get you home. Kyle and Heather made it home safely. In a separate conversation, I asked Kyle if he had any thoughts of what he was thinking when he was wheeled onto that plane in Africa thinking that, that his, his liver was going to fail and that he was going to die. He said, in all of my trips back and forth to Africa, I can remember several occasions where the attendant would ask, is there a doctor on the plane? He said, in each and every occasion, I would be the only doctor on that plane. I would be the only one to respond he said, as I was being wheeled onto that plane, thinking I was about to die, thinking, there's probably no other doctor on this plane who would have thought there were a hundred physicians that God had sent. Now, I don't know how God will send strength to get you home, but I do know this. The grace that has brought you safe thus far is the grace that will get you home. Let's pray together. O oh, great God of grace, would you please grant us the grace to receive your grace and now grant us the grace to live it. Through Jesus we pray. And all God's people said,